You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we'll be talking about something other than Doctor Who, so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. We are now less than a week away from Doctor Who coming back. And so this week, instead of carrying on with all the previews that we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, I thought we'd do something completely different. And so, and this is something that we were going to do anyway, I have Mark Hardy and David Banks back on the Skype. Hello, David. Hello, Mark. How are you? Hello. 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 Hi. It just seems a moment ago that we were talking. Yeah, it doesn't hardly yeah. seem like any time has passed at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was well, actually two weeks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, last time we spoke, we ended up talking about nothing but Doctor Who. So I said we'd come back and do um, a podcast where we talk about anything but Doctor Who. So, is there is there anything but Doctor Who? Well, of course, <laughs> there's plenty oh, other than right. Doctor Who. So and I and I always think it is. I always think you don't get a full picture of somebody if you only ever talk about the Doctor Who stuff they do. So I thought it'd be really nice to actually talk about all the things you've done that aren't Doctor Who, really. And as such, I've been and looked you both up on your IMDb pages. And um, well, Mark, we'll start with you. I see that quite a number of years ago you had a small part in carry on cleo what was that yes. like <laughs> <laughs> if only if only i'd had a part in carry on cleo but actually a lot of that um, um, that um, md stuff is actually totally wrong because obviously there was another mark hardy um a few earlier years than me and i remember when i tried to join equity they said there's another mark hardy you can't join and then we tried to get in touch with this person and well, we couldn't. So I became Mark Hardy. But yes, there are films like Carry On Cleo that I'm always, uh, it's always there on my page. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, no, um, no such luck. I wasn't in it. Oh, dear. Well, Mark, if you weren't in Carry On Cleo, I just can't be bothered to talk to you anymore. I'll turn to David. <laughs> David, I see that Hello. you were in a film I actually reviewed for the magazine last year, The Evil Within. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, isn't it? I didn't get paid for it. Um, in fact, I wasn't in it. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't me. That wasn't the David Banks that you know and I hope love. Um, <laughs> this American actor. And I, I think, I haven't actually looked at his page, but I, you know, you can probably look him up on uh, uh, IMB, IMDb, yeah. uh, see what he's done. I don't know how this happened. It happened elsewhere. Somebody else, you know, asked me about this. And I, I said, well, really, really, I didn't, you know, I, I haven't, I've got nothing to do with the evil within, you know, apart from my own um, you know, family. <laughs> um, uh, but a cyber leader should, I suppose. Um, well, yes. Yes, that's true. Very appropriate for a cyber leader, but, isn't it? Evil when, within. You know, when, you know, I got asked about this, I thought, well, I've never looked myself up on uh, IMDb, and I, I thought I'd have a look. And I, I, <laughs> you can see uh, I've done Doctor Who, and uh, it appears I started in 1963, which is when Doctor Who started. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, I probably was that little boy running around. You could hardly see in the in the TARDIS when when uh, William Hartnell landed. Um, I, I did EastEnders, it seems. Um, which I, I didn't do, it, but I probably, you know, th that's probably been the the the, the smallest uh, spit, or what do you call it, um, mm. that I've done on television. Um, and I did the Noel Edmonds Saturday Roadshow. Oh, of um, course, yeah. <laughs> in 1988, well, I did appear on that, and actually in a in a Cyberman costume. Um, oh got, yes, so that puts it puts you down as that being a fictional role, even though, to all intents and purposes, that's a guest role appearing as yourself, and that should have gone under the self credits, really, <laughs> shouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. You know, the thing is, when I was in EastEnders, I put on a mask. You see. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> this person who, who could pass as a human. Um, well, it, it, it's weird because if you if you actually look at the timings and certainly the um, the years of some of my stuff on on my credit, it goes back to 1940 something, I think, one or two, which means um, you know they only have to look, look at the years and the ages. Yeah. work out but oh, obviously come on, it's wrong Mark. come on mark tell us your age <laughs> yeah 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 100 i think i'm 105 <laughs> oh in fact oh yeah sorry look to cut a long story short we had this brief conversation before we started recording last time about how accurate and inaccurate listings on things like imdb on the internet can be yeah. and essentially what we sort of said was you can go on IMDb and regardless of whether it's accurate or not, most of your career or a very large part of your career, the pair of you is on the stage and there's no database for that. I mean, I looked into it a bit and I could find there's actually a Broadway one for for the certain particular theatres that count in Broadway. And there's a little database for that. And then there's an off Broadway one. And I thought, oh, that's a bit more promising. Maybe off Broadway just means, you know, not including Broadway, but all theatres elsewhere. But no, again, that's just theatres in Manhattan. So there doesn't appear to be a database like the IMDb for people's stage productions and stage appearances. So I and, you know, we said, let's talk about this, because this is, you know, as an actor, you 90 percent, I expect, of actors in Great Britain probably get nowhere near television cameras or film cameras or if they do very infrequently and with very small parts and most of these actors spend their time on the page on the page on the stage <laughs> so this was my thing i thought it would be nice to actually have a conversation you know we'll touch on these other things but it would actually be nice to have a conversation about actors and the stage what it's like the kind of things you do because people who like doctor who and especially old doctor who this is something that's part of the lifeblood of Doctor Who, because most of the people who will ever have been in Doctor Who will have spent a lot of time on the stage as well. And so now I've sort of introduced it like that. I think what I ought to do is go to each of you and sort of find out how you got into acting in the first place. So, Mark, I'll come to you first. Can you remember how old you were and was there a particular trigger and what was it that actually took you towards the stage in the first place? Did you train for it, for example? Ah, uh, yes. Well, I suppose I was about 14 or 15 uh, when I started doing um, different plays and going in for local drama festivals, doing sort of duologues and stuff like that. And there was a, in our village where I lived, there was a very good drama teacher called Pauline Bird and she used to... Um, ha uh, put us in for various festivals and also direct plays um, and then there was local amateur dramatic society but basically it was at West Kent College I think that I we, where we used to do uh, A levels and O levels in the morning and then in the afternoon we had this drama course running and it got run by a guy called Alec Mortimer and it was excellent and from that um, I was going to go to uh, straight to drama school but my dad thought, well, no, you've got to get some qualification. And so I went to Central School of Speech and Drama for teaching and then left that after a couple of terms because I realised I actually wanted to act. Yeah. Anyway, after um, going to Lambda, then I actually went to the acting course at Lambda, I left and started off weekly rep in Southwold in Suffolk. Oh, hang on a second. Let's move back then because I want to ask you about your first job in a minute. Right. I want, to, I want right. to sort of build up to that. Shall we go and find out oh, about right, David? Sorry. David, how yeah. about you? How did you, what was your first? Because I'll come back to you, Mark, with that one. I think that's a big yeah. step and worth dwelling on. Mark, uh, David, how about you? Yeah. What was your first sort of, what was the first inkling that you might want to be an actor? Well, <clears throat> I think it was playing a wizard um, at uh, at my junior school. Yeah, I was about seven or something, and I remember having this long, um, kind of oriental cloak that I put on and a, and a, a kind of walking stick that that did as my kind of wizard wand. Yeah, and uh, you know, learning the lines for that, and I think that that gave me a sense of. You know what? What a strange thing it was to be standing up in front of other people, and and you know the the power once you'd learned the lines, and once you'd established this character, you know that, what what that kind of it, it it meant that you didn't have to be your little shy self 
you could be you could lose yourself uh, and be taken as something else. I think. Yeah, that yeah. And then, um, and so, and I also remember, you know, a very formative thing was um, probably when I was about eight or uh, nine, my English teacher, the same junior school, um, handed me something that she'd taken from a magazine, I think, and it was a short, a short dramatization. I think it must have been a dramatization from the beginning of one of C.S. Lewis's novels, and the, the one where you go in, in they're in the train and they go into a tunnel and they suddenly find themselves in a different land. And she, she suggested that I should set it up as a production, you know, in this little way, but uh, directing it and being in it. And so, and that gave me the sense, well, you know, why has she asked me to do that? Maybe she, she thinks I'd be good at it. And that sort of set me on the road, I think, to it. So it was pretty early. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm assuming after school, you went into training as well. Uh, yes, but but um, uh, like Mark, I, I I was with a sort of drama group as well at school. Yeah, uh, when I was at school. But no, the the really big thing was um, you know in the later years of school, I I was in two particularly big productions. Um, one was um, the Royal Hunt of the Sun, uh, where we played um, this this Spanish soldier. Uh, Pizarro, Pizarro, and um, and then uh, the next year I was Beckett in in um, in Beckett, you know, right. in, in the yes, yeah. in the Beckett, and at the time, you know, the the people, the role models uh, for me anyway were Peter Toole and Richard Burton, and they had both been in this, um, and Paul Schofield to a certain extent. Uh, he wasn't in Beckett, so it was that you know these kind of formative performances that you saw the way people might call it overacting now but it was very um it was kind of vital and passionate and i suppose that's what you know kind of entered my my soul at that time which is very strange thinking that you know later on i was going to have to portray somebody that was the opposite of that so Let's talk about the first jobs then, because you, you you go in, you do training, and I'm assuming that when you're in drama school, and there's several big drama schools, you're surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands, of other people, all pretty much the same age and with a, a certain group graduating each year, who all want to go into acting. So there's got to be a lot of competition for jobs when you sort of finish that process and you're ready to start, you know, when you're ready to go off into the world and earn a living for yourself. Mark, I'll come back to yes. you then, because you were talking about your yes. job. How difficult was it to get that job? And did you realise well, at the time that that was actually a pretty major step, I suppose? It was actually uh, very difficult because in, in those days, uh, equity was a closed shop. Yeah. And I think each rep was only allowed to give out two or maximum three uh, provisional um, equity cards a year and so everybody desperately tried to get attached to a rep and I think um, I think you had to work in rep or in theatre I thought it was something like 42 weeks before even you were allowed to do television then I'm not quite sure but there were certain sort mm. of closed shop rules and so I was really lucky um, um, but basically the last year of drama school is very much you're doing productions and you're inviting agents in Right. And I remember we all used to ask, uh, give each, each, we sort of shared it. We'd try and get these agents to our final productions. And I remember stupidly, one really top agent, I got him on the phone. I said, look, I'd love you to come and see our, our production next week or whatever it was. And he said, well, I'll, I'll come, but I'll come and just see you. I don't want to come. I want to come just to see one person rather than just everybody. And I stupidly said, oh, well, that's not really what we're doing. We're trying to get you all just to see all of us. And I should have actually grabbed him and said, yes, just come and see me, come and see me. Anyway, um, I was very lucky, and I think it helped that my godfather in Southwold um, happened to be the local GP. So when I went for the interview, I said to Joan Shaw, was the person running Southwold Rep, said, look, I said, you don't have to worry about organising accommodation uh, with me because I can stay at my godfather's place in the in the town in the small town so that i think did help swing it but yeah. i was one of the um it was very exciting weekly rep was so exciting 
because we used to have to stay up till three or four in the morning to change the set. And of course, we did um, over two weeks. You'd split the play halfway through the week. And I remember it was in a church hall in Southwold um, and uh, see how they run, which is all about vicars rushing about. We had to run run out one side of the stage and run through the churchyard and then run in the other side to get onto the stage. And so in the evenings, I think uh, little old ladies would look out of their windows and see lots of vicars in states of undress running through the churchyard. Wow. What about you, David? How how did you come by your first job? And was that difficult? To, you know, um, did... well, I suppose, yeah, I had a more roundabout uh, way in because I, I, I wanted to do a, a BA on honours course, which I did at uh, at Manchester, <clears throat> Manchester University. Uh, it was one of only two single honours uh, in drama that you could do. The other was at Bristol, um, and oh, I could have gone to Bristol um, to do um, joint honours as well, and, and uh, a place at um, Hull I could have gone to to do drama and theology. So that was my. I was kind of um, I had an academic bent. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, I thought, well, partly it was, well, if I couldn't make it as an actor, at least I'd have something, you know, I could pursue the academic side of it, perhaps. Um, after, but we did huge amounts of practical stuff at, at uh, university. And um, so that, you know, that was a real training ground too, as well as the academic uh, side of it. And then I went straight on to, um, to Brislovic Theatre School. Um, which was offering a diploma, which is basically what you call now a master's uh, in drama. Yeah, yeah. And and that was just a one-year course, um, and they did two-year and three-year courses as well. The only other person on the one-year, the postgraduate course, uh, was Malcolm Sinclair. I don't know if many people know of him, but, you know, within the profession, he's very well known. In fact, he was the president of the, of equity um, uh, for, for the last five years, just, just stepped down. Um, and so... And with an accredited school like that, what you'd now call an accredited school, um, you know, you have lots of contacts. Lambda, where Mark went, is the same situation, really. You you do have contacts with agents, but also with theatres. And I was very, very lucky um, at that time to get into Manchester Library Theatre. Um, and, and and then it, it's, it's so seldom you can get this kind of experience now. But then usually if you went to a, a repertory company, um, You'd you'd go there for the year and you'd do um, quite a few productions. You know, in in the case of Manchester Library Theatre Company, it was uh, you'd it was six weeks. Um, uh, so you'd you'd rehearse for three weeks, uh, you'd perform for three weeks, and while you were performing for three weeks, you'd be rehearsing the other the other the next play. Actually, it was in conjunction with. Um, with another theatre, the, 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 the Forum with Withenshaw. And so the the timescale was slightly extended. But usually in this kind of setup, that's what you did. So, you know, I started off with, uh, you know, with I don't know, a whole different range of, of plays, Live Like Pigs, um, the musical Lock Up Your Daughters, and, and Bernard, uh, George mm. Bernard Shaw, St. Joan, and um, View from the Bridge, and... So you know, this was a kind of a learning, a learning platform, and that's what most of us did at the time, isn't it, Mark? We, you know, we got huge amounts of of theatre, different types of theatre under our belt. Yeah, um, and I, I, I did that. I got about three years, three or so years of that sort of work. I went to, I went to the Welsh National uh, for a year. Um, after that, I went to Humberside, which, you know, my, I was born in Hull. I, I came back to the Humberside Theatre Company. And when you get taken on, on uh, in rep then, do they take you on for a certain amount of time, like a six-month yep. or a 12-month contract or something yeah. like that? Yes, yep. they, they used to. I don't think they do that now at all. I think they just get you play-by-play play, as far as I'm aware. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. But, I mean, then you'd definitely get signed on for a year. And of course, you'd be very much a junior member. So you might be assistant stage managing um, and then actually doing some of the plays. But I kind of never really got into the reps, apart from the weekly rep. Um, I never really got a foothold or a good, you know, a whole year of different plays, which would have been great. 
Um, I think the next thing, funnily enough, the end of the Southwold, uh, which was eight weeks, it was from Southwold that I was called to do the Green Swampy, actually. They were looking around local theatres. That's when, I know we mustn't mention Doctor Who. <laughs> 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 um, and the next thing I was doing was Pantomime at Windsor, I think, um, which was, so there was a bit of a break, I suppose, from the end of the summer to Windsor. But that's really what you did. You spent the whole, as soon as you got a job, you spent the whole time writing letters to all the other theatre companies um, asking for a job because they're always interested, I think, when you were working. Yeah. Um, not so much when you weren't working. Was it a huge risk then? And was there times when you were thinking, oh, my God, can I make a fist of this? Mm, mm. Well, I gave myself yes. five years um, you know, from, from leaving Bristol. So working at Manchester, then Hull, then, then uh, Cardiff. Um, and it was by the time the five years was I found I was actually playing opposite John Gilgood, so at the national. So it was, you know, it was, um, it sort of, it seemed as though it had paid off. But, you, you know, you could, you could only laughably refer to a career in acting, I think, for most of us. So you don't know where it's going to go. You're only as good as your next job, basically. Um, yes. and, and the only power you have as an actor really is to say no. Um, and, and so you have to deliberate with yourself. You know, do, do I do this job or do I wait for another job? A better job to come along uh, you know it's really interesting you said you're only as good as your next job rather than yeah. you're only as good as your last job because <laughs> I, I guess that is you, you, the sort of actor's life in a nutshell you've got to keep your eye on you know as mark alluded to when he said he was writing as soon as you got one job you're writing around looking for the next one because you've got to have your eye completely on the future at all times haven't you Yes. And, and and one thing is that um, you when you're younger, you know, when you're in your 20s and, um, you know, early 20s, you're not really um, you're just thinking about jobs and getting on in your career. You're not actually worrying about things that come into play a bit later on, like um, mortgages and, uh, you know, perhaps mm. families and all that sort of thing and where you're going to live. And that's, you're sort of, it's so exciting, actually, suddenly going to different places, doing a tour, because you're you're independent and you're, you don't have sort of um, responsibilities, I suppose, which is great. You know, it's great. It's a great time. It was great. I really loved it, um, that those first few years. And you didn't really worry about not having a job um, at the time. You know, you're just busy thinking, oh, I'll get another job. But And, of course, you used to get lots of jobs in between, um, alternative jobs, you know, with a lot of other out-of-work actors. Yeah. <laughs> go, oh, sorry, go on, David. Yeah, no, 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 that's that's true. I, I think it's a good uh, summation. Um, uh, it it so happened that I, my partner, my long-term partner, was, was an actor as well. And um, so she and I understood that that lifestyle and we would and she would be getting the same kind of jobs you know long term maybe 13 weeks if it's a tour or something like that but during that time you know you'd have to you'd see each other every two or three weeks maybe um if you could if you could uh, if you were near enough to to meet somewhere uh, or get back home at the weekend the the one day we had off you know sunday right <laughs> so you'd yeah on the Saturday night, and uh, and and then you you go back to the theatre on the Monday, ready to start again. Usually, you know that kind of setup. Um, but I think it probably helps um, uh, to to have somebody who's at, in in the profession in some way to understand that that strain. And uh, I've not I've never had children. Uh, Mark, uh, you know, is referring to uh, with 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 children. Mark, I, 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 you know, the beautiful children, your your children, and and, and beautiful wife, and and you know, you've got a lovely house, and and you've you've settled down that way. I it so happens I've always paid a mortgage, and that it right. didn't have an effect on it. It just I knew that uh, I'd need to keep, you know, those jobs would have to keep coming out of the bag as I pushed my hand in, and, and you know, and there would be choices. Um, and this is sliding doors, you know, that, that, mm, that yeah, metaphor. Yeah. Um, because I remember I was, you know, I'd, I'd met Maureen, my, my partner, I'd met Maureen and, and uh, we were at Cardiff together and we were, th we were setting up home, as it were, thinking of living together. And, um, and I got a chance of doing a job uh, quite early on in my contract for Cardiff 
at Scarborough, you know, with Alan Eggborn. I was really interested in doing that. But it was sort of, well, do, do I, you know, will that make a, will that be better for my career? Or do I want to stay with Maureen and, you know, that sort of thing. It's it's uh, really difficult choices. I suppose, you know, in, in all sorts of spheres of work, you have those kind of choices. But the difference is that the jobs you do are short term, basically. Yeah. Yes. If you do a film, you know, yes. six six weeks or so, uh, mm-hmm. and and so it's it's a it's a much faster conveyor belt than than if you're in a an office job and, and thinking about promotion within the same company. I do remember um, the I went to see the casting director for the Royal Shakespeare Company, and she said, um, "Well, there's two ways of going about this. You either um, join the RSC and you become a spear carrier." for years and years and years and work your way up slowly or you go off and do rep and stuff and perhaps come into the RSE at a later stage. Actually, I didn't, I didn't do either. But the, the interesting thing is that was probably the one place at the time, you know, which ended up with Nichols Nickleby and some fantastic uh, plays. The RSE was somewhere which where you could join and could probably uh, build over the years and start playing lead parts eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there wasn't much else as far as that would nurture your career in that sort of way. No, well, I, I, yeah, I, I had uh, real experience of that quite early. When, you know, when I was in this play with John Gielgud and, and you know, these lovely, lovely actors, the parts were understudied by by people uh, of varying ages, and some of whom, you know, the person understudying John Gielgud was was he wasn't quite John Gielgud's age. He was he was, he was mm. about seventy or so at the time, but. Um, Mm. I, I understood that at the na- if you were at the national and you were sm- playing these smaller parts, you wouldn't really progress. And it's true, you know, twenty years later, thirty years later, I saw the same actors doing smallish parts, very small parts. It's different with the RSC, I think. Um, mm. A slightly different setup, but certainly with the national at that time, over that twenty, thirty year period. Um, yeah. You went in to play small parts. You very Ble- Ble- Brenda Blessing was a was a, a a notable exception because she kept went on as the understudy and made such a splash, um, mm-hmm. such an impact. <laughs> it it kickstarted her career. Wow! So mm-hmm. tell me, tell me a little bit about sort of the uh, and I'm not talking about specifically that part of your career now, but just in general about the sort of working day of an actor or a little flavour of what it's like? Because most people listening to this probably will only have experience of certain nine-to-five jobs or whatever. I can only imagine that being an actor is completely different from having a normal life. Well, I have to say that um, when, of course, you're rehearsing a play... Uh, sometimes you're doing, you know, if it's in rep, you're doing a different play in the evening. And then you'd, yeah, you'd start at 10, you'd work and at lunchtime, then you'd work in the afternoon and then break early and then um, go back and do the, the other play uh, in the evening. But the thing that actually, when I ended up doing some tours like uh, Privates on Parade and also The Merchant of Venice um, with the old Vic company around Europe, it was great because you would actually have the days free to, um, you know, to visit places, to do things, especially if you're on tour. Uh, like, you know, we went around Europe to all sorts of different places. Um, and like in Rome for a week, you had this great opportunity to only be working literally, I suppose, if you think of it, about three hours a day. And the rest of the time, uh, you're still in my, mindful that you're going to be working in the evening. Mm. So it's not as if you can go on a you know, drinking binge or anything like that. But you can actually go and visit, um, you know, if museums or different things in the daytime, which was always quite nice. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I agree, Mark. I, you know, well, I, I think some people did go on drinking binges. You <laughs> 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 and I, I don't know. But, but um, touring is just the best thing, really, that, or, or working abroad. I've had three, and you have, Mark, had had experience of working in the theatre abroad, I believe. I mm. seem to remember. But I, I had three different, three jobs. Um, the first one in, in, in Vienna, you know, working in Vienna at the English Theatre for, for three months. Um, at, at, and at, um, at, in Sweden, 
And there I went, uh, you know, Maureen and I uh, got a part in in uh, the Patrick Hamilton. Um, oh, gas, right. Gaslight. Gaslight, yeah. Oh, right. Where I had to basically mentally torture uh, Maureen. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I felt so bad about it, but um, but we had lovely times uh, yes. there, and then and then in Frankfurt. Uh, but also this small, t- not small. I'm going to say small town, but no big cities. You'd go through mm. well, doing the Doctor Who play, for example. You know, we that, that's what mm. you used to call a number one tour. So you'd go to the you know Bristol, Manchester, Birmingham, uh, Stirling, uh, Edinburgh, Glasgow. Those kind of huge theatres that you'd be playing um, but because you'd rehearsed it you'd, you'd have the day free except on Wednesdays and Saturdays when you had to do a matinee yeah. and so you'd be able to explore and also the different places that you lived, what, what kind of, you had to in fact my first book, the first published book was um, The Good Digs Guide and this was you know, an idea because we <laughs> oh, yes. kind of pot luck where, where yes. you'd end up staying so it was the first sort of review system and this was the days before you could look up uh, on the web yeah. these kinds of things. Um, but it, yeah, that excitement is so different um, from from being in a company, and uh, you know, th- that's another kind of excitement, totally different, uh, of of learning a play while you're doing one play. So you're working, yes. there, you're, and you're right, Jay. It's totally different from you know you, you'd expect to be working, um, you know, through the day. Uh, in, a, in an ordinary job, but we would start, admittedly, you know, at ten o'clock probably in the morning. We'd be mm. rehearsing this, the play that we're going to be doing next, and then uh, come five o'clock, five thirty, we'd stop, and then uh, you know, the, you'd have to be at the theatre at the half five to seven, um, and you'd be doing this other play, and it may be quite a long play, if it's Shakespeare or whatever, quite a long play. So your 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 days. And and parts of your nights were filled with, with the the theatre and with your interactions with your fellow actors, um, your technicians, uh, the directors, so on. Very kind of, kind of a very close knit kind of family. And then at the end of that, you all disperse. You know, it's it's a mm, very yes. It's very, weird, isn't it? Because you're together for so intensely for so, several weeks, yeah. and then suddenly that's it. And you think you're going to see each other again and meet up and stuff, and you might at the odd mm. audition or rehearsal, but quite often you just don't, and everybody goes, you go, you go off. Once in, interesting thing about you were asking about the life of an actor, I have found, you know, when I when I was acting a lot, was you just do it to to get the job done. You weren't you didn't weren't sort of watch keeping or look, looking at a watch and wondering how many hours and stuff like that. You just you just worked however many hours you needed to, and you worked at home. You prepared us. But I've noticed that jobs I've done outside the theatre, um, and I forget. I think, well, come on, let's all work. You know, afternoon. Let's go, let's work late into the evening and get this thing done. That immediately people say, no, no, but we can't. You know, I worked in the morning. I'm not going to work. If I'm going to work in the evening, I must take the afternoon off. There's all this. Um, you know, it's, it's a sort of hour. It's an hour thing, isn't it? Which yeah, I yeah. I never really um, uh, had in the theatre at all. You just you work however many hours you needed to. But maybe it's changed now. I don't know. I guess it's a way of looking at it that's changed, perhaps just a mindset of people in general, as opposed to people in a particular trade. Yeah. But one yeah. thing, but you know, you're talking about working however many hours it takes to get it done, and this is what I did a little bit of you know when i was at school a little bit of acting not very much and uh i can remember this being the thing that really sort of staggered me how on earth do you learn your lines that this amazes me that you can learn the lines for an entire play and you know you're talking about doing two at the same time and possibly sometimes i expect you're looking forward to a third one as well how how do you learn your lines? Is there a process? Do you find it easy, or is it something that's hard and you have to work at? Yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah, David, you speak. You go first. After you, Mark. <laughs> well, oh, no. What, all I was going to say is, I think every every actor have their own techniques and their own methods, and some need to have a very visual. Um, you know, memory, so they can picture the page like a sort of photograph in front of them, mm. and others have to sort of go through it again and again and again. I'm one of these people who have to go through 
it again and again and again. And quite, and I remember I used to cha- get a cassette recorder and read out the other person's lines, and le- then there'd be these long silences between where I'd have to come in with my lines. And so I'd, you'd also learn the cue, the cues as well. But um, you'd have to keep changing the tape because obviously <laughs> your way you interpret it keeps changing. You know that was one way I used to do it. But I, it is a pr- learning lines, and I I have to say. I'm amazed at how I think television works differently. Whereas apparently in American sitcoms they'll they'll be writing new lines as oh. um, sorry oh. as uh, they'll be writing um, lines and say, look, can you say this instead? I can't. I couldn't do that. I need I need um, a night or t- two two days probably to learn things properly. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Well, no, and I remember um, using that technique when I, at school with, with um, the um, uh, Royal Hunt of the Sun, for example, you know, that, because I had a, a tape recorder, huge reel-to-reel thing. But I did that. I read, read the parts and then I left the, 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 the gap. Um, and, but it's not, as Mark says, it's not flexible enough really to, to deal with that. I found as I, you know, huge... You're doing this again and again and again. It's the least problem when you're in that situation to learn the lines, and yet it's the most common question that you're asked. After yeah. playing a lead part, people come on. You say, and they say, you know, I don't know how. They don't say anything about. Well, I, they do sometimes, but you know how it came across, or how good they thought the play was, or you know, they say, how do you learn all those lines? But it's not. You know, it's it's like. It's like saying to a, a um, you know, a, a violinist who's who's playing a violin concerto, how do you learn all those notes? It's it's not the notes, the words, are part of a greater whole. It's the greater whole you've got to get um, uh, a handle on, that, uh, an understanding of, um, to and that roots it down. And so, the, and also, what they say is, you know, if because you, if you're in different plays at the same time. Um, they'll say, how do you know which play you're in? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, believe me, that's never a difficult... I, I, the, um, I, was, I once did a wonderful thing. One of my, you know, the jobs I really enjoyed the most, we had about four months and it was a festival. It was, a, it was an attempt to put on all of Agatha Christie's plays. Now, this is not, not to do with her whodunit. I mean, she... Some of them are who done it, some very famous ones. But she wrote a lot of other plays. You know, the one witness for the prosecution is, yeah. is on Western at the moment, I think. And um, uh, you know, I, I, and I played I played the, the nice big part in that. Um, but we also we broke into two groups. That was a very large company, and we each each group learned were, were doing about eleven plays, so about twenty two or twenty three plays, I think, altogether. Wow. And we we had about four weeks, five weeks, to get them all into repertoire. And then through the rest of the time, we would be, you know, oh, it's Wednesday, it must be um, Spider's Web. It's, you know, Saturday, it's the unexpected guest, whatever. It's, and, you know, that's an extraordinary experience, but it's nothing to, it's it's not about being confused about which play you're in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really about, well, um, you know, what's, what's the energy of this play you know what you know how because when you're doing theater it it um it changes as well uh you you kind of root down further and further you find all things sometimes it works in, in reverse that in that it gets worse and worse um you know because people get a bit uh, self-indulgent about it right uh, yeah it's, it's never this is the excitement of theater you know it can never be the same because you've always got a different audience in front of you. It was a different time. You've been through a different thing during the day. Once in film, in television, you, you, you do the scene, it's over. And it's very, very different. Yes. People do say, they, they say, um, uh, gosh, it must be so boring doing the same performance night after night, you know, matinees on Saturday, you know, six months or four months. But weirdly enough, it isn't. And I think it's partly, as you say, David, the, the audiences are different. Every audience is different. Yeah. And then if you do um, get, um, you know, a bit still, you just change the, a few nuances or the way you do things. And, the, and then it all becomes very exciting again. I have to say one thing, though, about 
um, when I was in Run for Your Wife, and about it's almost a year, but after about six months, I remember do going on, I going on stage, and you can become so relaxed that you don't con- concentrate. And one time I went on, and I suddenly thought, I can't, I can't think of what the next line is, and it is that is a nightmare, <laughs> nightmare. But it can happen when you've been doing it every night uh, yeah. for a long time. Uh, interesting yeah. enough. Yeah, and I think, and this is to be born in my, you know, for anybody who is thinking about becoming an actor or is 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 an actor and has suddenly lost their lines, you know, suddenly dried or whatever, this is a very very common experience, and because of the number of times you've got to repeat things, and especially as the production goes on, it's 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 almost certain at some point something is going to go wrong, and it may be uh, the character you're the. The actor that you're with on the stage it dries, or you dry, or whatever, or a bit of scenery falls down, or two Tardises come on at once. <laughs> um, that, that, you know, these things actually they galvanise you, I suppose, and you know they 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 put you back in the moment. Uh, you know, as Mark was saying, it, it's it's as if you're not attending to the moment, and so it's it's a very it's very good sort of training, or or at least you know to to live to live life because we can only live it in the moment. And that thing about, you know, you're only as good as your next job, but you're looking to the future, you said, JR, but yeah. the future doesn't exist. All, all that exists are your anticipations, your hopes, your fears. Um, it, by being in the moment, you know, this is what acting is about. You are affecting the future and you're kind of, it, it's a kind of reaffirmation of the past. And so, and this is this is different, so different from being in film or television. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Here's a question that sort of covers theater and theater as well as maybe film and television a bit. But I should imagine that in theater, this is something that's um, a lot more involved. Getting into the character because when you get up on the stage you're not you anymore you are being somebody else you're not pretending to be somebody else you if you're doing a good job you are being somebody else aren't you is that difficult i, I think you, it depends very much again on the individual actor but i, I remember there's an, an actress called patience collier and she would say that she she used to develop her character she always said from a piece of clothing i think in the in the sense that she'd work out the costume or what she was going to wear and that would help her as well from that build or build on the character obviously and of course using the lines as well um i don't know i think um i think it's an awful lot of work is done at home um in developing the kind of character you you want to be but i don't have any um big thoughts on how other than um I think I think certain props can help you um, develop a character, uh, but I don't know, David. What do you think about that? About how, it, how do you just, go about developing? Well, just before David comes in, is it something then that you just get into the habit of doing? Uh, yes, I suppose it is. And you obviously you, you talk to the director and you do read-throughs and stuff, and you start to develop and also it depends slightly on how the other characters are and how, what the director's looking for and then you go away and think about it and go through some of the lines and uh you probably put an image of oneself how eventually you would like to be um in your mind yeah and then you move towards that yeah sorry a, david i cut you off do you want to no nope. uh, go on that's- that's fine. No, I think that what, what Mark's just said is is right. It's this thing of self-image. Um, hmm. In the theatre, you know, unless it's videoed and and theatre performance videoed are never a good representation anyway of what's actually happening. Hmm. Um, but in theatre, really, you you have a an image of what you're doing. Um, it's got nothing to do with how that is actually coming across, but it's essential for you to have it, as it were. Um, whereas if you're doing a television film, whatever, you, um, you know, I, I heard Bill Nye saying the other day that he never watches himself, uh, except when he played a squid. 
Um, <laughs> because he, he knew. And anyway, when he was walking around as a squid, all he did was to, you know, um, when he was in his costume and nobody paid any, any attention, he simply repeated the, the huge number which represented the money that he was getting for the film, which was larger <laughs> than anything, and made it, made it seem worthwhile. But but he never watches his performance. Um if it's in television, you know, you can see the performance and that's what other people are seeing. You're seeing objectively and it can be, you know, frightening because we as actors don't have that idea of what we're doing. But the yeah, idea yeah. We, has to be, has to be there. We have to develop it. And what you said about pretense and being, they're quite close together if you think of pretense as play. And I think what what has to happen is this, it starts off as pretense because we have nothing else to go on. We may tr put, pull something from a, a role model, or, you know, somebody we see in the street or something, observation, we bring that in. Um, but we're uh, always only dealing with ourselves. We cannot be other than our body, our voice, um, what we look like. And we can change those to a certain extent. And we think we're changing them markedly. You know, we, <laughs> we're doing the part. We think, you know, we enter into that. Yes, we are that. At the time we're doing it, we are that. And we think it's so different from what we are. Um, but it, it, it's that kind of rooting down, that exploration of this space which has not been filled yet in ourselves, this experience of, you know, if you're playing something like, uh, uh, you know, this, 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 this person that I mentioned before in Gaslight, who's you know, a husband who is for some reason wanting to, to, to make his wife think that she's mad. Mm. Now, um, very few people are going to go there in their own lives, in their mm. own experience. But we as actors have got to do that in some way. And we as actors are, mm. have, have got the responsibility of in some way loving or understanding or at least putting up with that character, that, mm. that, that person. It's and it's also a question of, of rooting back into your own memory and uh, really remembering a, a, a personal moment when you felt the same. So, um, you know, if you're very angry or very jealous or very um, upset about something, it does help if you look back and um, try and reproduce that, that feeling that you had yourself mm. in a real situation and yeah. then bring it to the actual character. Yeah, but and I, I just need to also mention the extraordinary thing of of, of soap opera because uh, Jay, I think yeah, you said yeah. that you, we we were mostly did theatre. Well, for for me, that's not the case. I mean, during I've been I've done television so much more television than 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 Doctor Who, mm, um, yeah. and and at the time that we were doing Doctor Who, and the longest periods. Uh, of of doing television were in Brookside and in and in um, Canary Wharf, which is so um, in the mid nineties. And there, you you know you you have the you have the fact that nobody knows where your character is going, so you don't have those those anchors as you yeah were, yeah script. Nobody, not even the writers, and so you you uh, you are in some way becoming that. That creature, that person, that that character, um, and you are living alongside them in a, in a kind of duality. You know, it could it could be a Doctor Who story in itself. Really, um, it's a very strange aspect. And other people, the other people in the soaps, you are seeing them in their characters, which can go on for years and years. Mm. They're seeing you as that character. Yes. Is it like the dog and the owner? Do do the character and the actor become yes. closer and closer as it goes on? Yes. Well, that, well, I suppose that's the thing as well that becomes a problem. I imagine if you're in a long thing, uh, typecasting, which I just wondered whether the um, some of the Doctor Who's have found difficult yeah. to get into other things. I wonder whether Tom Baker did or not. I don't know. But um, you break that, don't you, and eventually get into other things. Well, chaps, we are a bit pushed for time today, so I'm going to have to start wrapping up because, uh, but 
we've still got plenty to talk about, including television. Maybe we'll come back again and do a third one in a few months where we talk about television and film and some things like that. But before we sign off for this one, I've got a few quick fire questions I'm going to throw at you. As long as you don't mind, and I don't know whether you'll have ready answers or not, because I've not prepped you up for this. But, I mean, they're obvious questions. Uh, David, you first. Right, I'm going to distinguish between your favourite and the one you've enjoyed most, but the favourite play that you've ever been in. In other words, the one, I guess, where you respect the work the most, I should imagine. Oh, that, that's, that's so difficult, so difficult. Yeah. Because it's uh, different. Um, uh, I, uh, I a, <laughs> throw out a few quick, then. Doesn't have to be one. <laughs> quick fire answer. <laughs> Sorry, is this from you, Mark? No, no. no, no, I, was, no. Yeah, I, was, I was waiting for your quick fire answer. Oh no! I'm I, just I, saying. I name, I, you name well, one or two if you like. You don't have to settle on one. Well, it was so lovely to play The Hobbit. I played Gandalf in The Hobbit, you know, in the West End. That's the West End thing. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's... Um, uh, I mentioned Witness for the Prosecution. You know, there you're, you're playing something which is a... Um, you know, a, 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 you're playing a lawyer and, and you are uh, having to um, be in charge... Of of the the whole of the the prosecution, but you're you're undermined by what's happening. You know, it's um, I can't I can't really I can't say. Um, yeah. You know, I mentioned Gaslight again. Full stuff. I suppose full stuff. I played. Um, you know, and I'm not. I, I'm nowhere near his bulk at all. But, <laughs> uh, but there's a question. There's the thing of you know you've got the self image. You have to believe in yourself that, that that's who you are. Those those are interesting things, I suppose. Okay. How about uh, you uh, then, Mark? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, well, for me, it probably was the most significant theatre role was playing Bassanio in The Merchant of Venice um, opposite Timothy West. And we it was the old Vic Theatre Company, and it was really their final tour. And then the Arts Council withdrew the grant, and we closed in Rome. And it was um, it was a kind of a baptism of fire for me because before then I'd been doing about eight or nine lines in a play, actually up in Edinburgh at the Royal Lyceum. Um, I've, what was it called? It's it's just come back. It was about a presidential um, race. Anyway, um, yeah, and experience. so that was that was a great. Um, it, it was a real break for me. And I know Timothy West said, "Look, if you know the series was going to, you know, if he was going to be able to continue." I'd have been involved in the company a bit longer, but it was um, it was it was a very nerve wracking um, time. But looking back on it, it was certainly the most uh, exciting for me and probably the biggest part I played, uh, you know, in the theatre. Well, on the subject of Timothy West, I want you each to and I'll start with you, Mark, since we're here, each name an actor that you've worked with not necessarily the most famous or the one who you've liked the most or the one you've got on with the best but one who has had the biggest impact let's say on your career or the one that you have the best memories of something like that um gosh uh who have i got i can't think of anybody at the moment (laughs) (laughs) i should have prepped you up for these questions shouldn't i (laughs) i yeah, uh, there's nobody um, particular. You mean who I acted with, who yeah, uh, yeah. enjoyed being with? Um, uh, every, uh, no, there's no specific person for me. I just love I love being in companies, mm. and um, just the, I mean whether it was a musical or um, a theatre play or something, it's just. Uh, you know, I quite enjoy the socialising side, but there's—I can't think of anybody particular who had a huge. Oh, I think you've actually, apart from Timothy West, hmm. I think you've actually given the best and most diplomatic answer. Anyway, the company. <laughs> How about you, David? Well, there are three, three that come to mind, but <clears throat> um, Lorraine Chase. We did a, a, a virtually a two-hander together, oh. and um, you know, I only knew her from from the. Uh, you know the song that she did. Yeah, uh, I know what you mean. Uh, I can't think of it. Yeah. It's an airport school. <clears throat> mm. um, 
and you know that was a tour so you know got to know her pretty well um so th there's a thing of you know seeing somebody from afar and then you get to know them as the person uh Fenella fielding i worked with um in the west end um and it was uh, you know she's just died and mm -hmm. uh, and she, and she was uh at just at the end of that part of her career where where, where she wasn't seen you know in the kind of age group that she 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 dominated with that wonderful voice and i and i met her and lorraine chase at a blue plaque um, ceremony for for john pertwee you know the um just a year ago or so um but uh, john gilgood i mentioned i mean obviously yeah. you know, um to, to, to in some small way you know act alongside him and, and get to know him a, a little bit you know it's it's a as a, as a personal uh, fragment of of theatre history, that's that is extraordinary. I think. Yeah. Um, so that that would kind of stand out. Yeah. Okay, then one final question. Again, this is one I've not prepped you for, so you may not have an answer. But Davidson is your here, perhaps. What's the most enjoyment you've had? on the road or in a play is there a particular production or a particular company that you have the fondest memories of what's the one thing that you've enjoyed the most the first thing i did at uh, at cardiff was dracula <clears throat> and um, and i met maureen there oh. and of course that's uh, maureen died 30 years later and it oh. it's it's a um you know that that for me was a magical moment because we got our teeth into each other, <laughs> uh, you know, and and never let go really. Um, um, in terms of you know the the um, this festival and it seems so strange to say Agatha Christie, yeah, but the that that whole sort of um, artistic project really of uncovering her as a dramatist. Um, was was extraordinary and just the um, it was a delight to do that and some of the people in that company uh, you know I'm still in touch with I had a a, a, a life defining uh, time yeah. Yeah. Uh, during those four months four or five months I'd say wow Mark then finally you thanks <laughs> Uh, well, I, I I loved actually. Um, there was a production of Cabaret up at the Royal Lyceum, Edinburgh. It was very early on in my career, and I just played Max, the uh, sort of nightclub owner. Um, not a huge part at all, but I just loved. It was so exciting for me being um, in Edinburgh in the winter with um, with the cast, and uh, it, that was very exciting. And the other thing I remember that. Uh, if you wanted to do a, a good farceur, who I would have thought was um, on a par with uh, Bran Ricks, was a guy called Rex Garner, who uh, was actually um, spent a lot of his time out in South Africa, but was also extremely good at farce. And I remember rehearsing um, him rehearsing a run for your wife, and he'd he'd stop and say, "Hold on, now, yeah, what am what am I thinking?" What are the audience thinking? And then what are the audience thinking? I'm thinking, and he would <laughs> he he would work it out very technically, and yeah. he was absolutely brilliant. And he could keep the audience waves of laughter coming, you know, with with just from his facial expressions as he got the thought process, you know, stage one, stage two, stage. And he, of course, if you're thinking something, then the audience can pick up what you're thinking by the way you look at them. Um, and he he was. Um, it was great. I really enjoyed working with him as well. And speaking of enjoying things, I've really enjoyed speaking to you two about this today. And I hope you've enjoyed talking about it too. A chance to talk about something slightly different that maybe you don't get to talk about very much. But thank yeah. you both. Yeah, yeah. very much. Yes. Thank you. Great. Yeah, nice. and maybe if we can organise it, then we will come back in a few months and talk a bit about film and TV and maybe a bit more about theatre, but... But it, yeah. it's been great. Thank you both. Thank you. Um, I just, uh, I've got one more person to say thank you to. Darren Morrison did me a big favour a couple of weeks ago, and I promised myself I'd mention it on the podcast. So I've waited till this week, knowing that you two would be back because I think you'd appreciate that. Um, oh. <laughs> I shan't say what it is, but he, he did me a big favour, and I and I oh. promised myself I'd mention it. Um, 
next week, then I guess we're into reviewing of the television episodes as they come out. Um, but until then, and for you two, until we have you back, hopefully, once again, we'll try and organise yes. that as long as you're both up yeah. for it. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Yeah. 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 This is great fun. I, I really enjoy Thanks. talking about things outside of Doctor Who, you know, for a change. Um, yeah, until next week then, I was JR, I was with David and Mark, and we'll speak again soon. Great, great. I don't, there's one, um, David, there's one story I remember of John Gilgood, um, yeah. you know, about we're talking about just remembering lines and stuff. Yeah, I remember yeah. there was a story of him, Edith Evans and Ralph Richardson, I think, on the stage. And they the, one of them forgot because they'd been doing the show for so long. And then the other one kept saying uh, the, the prompt kept getting louder and louder. And eventually, eventually, have you heard that? And then eventually John Gilgood stepped forward and said, um, yeah, we... Uh, we know the line, darling, yeah. but who says it? <laughs> <laughs> who, who the f*** says it? I think. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's going on as an Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs>